You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in, Lake is live. It is Sunday night, August 14th, year of our Lord, 2022. A show so jam-packed, we could reasonably start our own 1-900 hotline tonight. With all of this information, we are indeed jam-packed. To the brim, high atop, sun-splashed downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We've got not just fall camp whispers in Intel, we got scrimmage Intel. They actually were scrimmaging at many places all across the country yesterday, so I've got a lot of scoop. I got a lot around the SEC. I got a lot nationally. We're going to get to it all tonight. Welcome back, JP Poll. The JP Poll returns tonight. Before the end of this broadcast, you will have our own in-house top 20. The Ramen Noodle Express returns tonight. Before this broadcast concludes, you will have, count them, four new best bets on preseason over-under win totals. I'm going to make some people upset. We got a couple of unders tonight, but that's the price of doing business. Huge recruiting moves happening. I mean, just a a tsunami, a tidal wave, if you will, of recruiting momentum building in multiple places. Boy, one of them down near Gainesville, really specific. We will get into that tonight. They are watching us in so many places, but we have not had a single check-in from the state of Vermont until right now. Hinesburg, Vermont, home of the Red Hawks. Good people up there in Hinesburg. They're watching us. Riverview, Florida checked in. Atlanta, Georgia, Pascal, Washington. It's prediction week. Really, the time for talking is over, at least in formality's sake. It's actually time to go on the record this week. I would just encourage you, if you've kind of casualed your way through August so far, make it stop tonight. Or if you're listening tomorrow, make it stop tomorrow. Do not miss any more of these shows. It gets real from this point on, and we got football in like two weeks. So it's time to go. Uh, We've gone to three nights a week, and it is time to go. So do not miss. PateStateMaterial.com, by the way, in case you have been out for an extended period of time, the Late Kick store is open. I waste no more time. We got to get into this show. We got so much to talk about. I have no clue how long we're going to go tonight. Uh, That's why we do this thing on digital instead of on traditional over the air. I'm going to start across the SEC. We got a lot of scrimmage nuggets, a lot of pieces of intel to get you. I'm going to go as quick as I can, but I want to dive as deep as I can. I'm going to start with the national champs. I'm going to start in Athens, Georgia. How many times do you listen to Kirby Smart talk about his team and say, yeah, offense kind of head of the defense right now? That's Kind of the way it is in Athens. The offense is ahead of the defense, which is not shocking if you know the makeup of this year's Georgia team. I think if you're just kind of floating out there, maybe you're a Nebraska fan and you're not paying close attention to Georgia, maybe that does sound a little weird, especially coming off the year they just had and how they had that year. But it is true. Offense ahead of the defense there. Now, all these scrimmages situationally don't exactly shake out like regular games would be, but Kirby Smart's not window dressing you. He's not head faking you. Yeah, they got a little ways to go defensively up there. We talked about that last week on the show. Uh, That's not anything new. I think what he talked about, he being Kirby Smart yesterday after their scrimmage, sort of reflects a lot of what I heard from the scrimmage. And that is, there's so many talented players in their defensive front. A lot of names you would recognize if you follow recruiting. But yet, you don't have that alpha yet. You don't have those guys, nor should you in, in real terms that fit the mold of some of those guys that just went off to the NFL. And so it takes a little while. And that that doesn't mean that when we look at the JP poll later tonight and you see Georgia ranked in the top five, or you look at the coaches poll or the AP poll tomorrow and you see Georgia in the top five, that doesn't mean they're overrated. 
What it does mean is there's probably a different way they've got to go about things this year. This is not a shock. Uh, this is something that I've been saying on this show ever since they won the title in January. They could very well do it again, but if they do it again this year, it'll be a whole lot more because offense was able to carry them. And especially early on in the year, guys, offense is going to have to carry them. They don't have a murderer's row schedule, but there could come a time, maybe as early as week one, where that Oregon team you're facing has a little bit bigger number on the board than you're comfortable with, and Stetson Bennett or a couple of those veteran tailbacks you have, or hopefully some of this wideout talent that is starting to emerge carries a game for you. The other point of emphasis there is the wideout position. Arian Smith got hurt yesterday for them, uh, maybe the fastest player on their team overall. Uh, Arian Smith is a name that they're going to count on. Now, they are thin at receiver. It's a, it's a very important position for them. They are thin there. Kirby Smart talked about it openly yesterday. This is not something that's been hidden from anyone. Uh, they've got guys that just have to hit for them. No two ways about it. Some of them are young. They've got to hit. So Georgia, these are first world problems, but uh, there is no perfect team out there. And so Stetson Bennett, I think it's really interesting now. He comes back from winning a national title, comes into this year. Everyone thinks what they think about Stetson Bennett. Uh, last year, you saw him win, and you saw them ride a historic defense en route to winning games. And there was never a time where Stetson Bennett had to step up and have some Trevor Lawrence-type game. That's not the kind of player he is. Very good player, though. I thought he had played some of his best football at the most opportune moments for them. There could be times this year, plural, times, where Stetson Bennett's got to step up and throw the ball a little bit more than he was asked to last year. Fit it into windows a little bit more frequently than he was asked to last year. That's just the way they'll have to win this year. Uh, that's not, that shouldn't be a shock to you if you follow college football and you follow the NFL draft. Next up, the team they played in the SEC Championship and the National Championship, Alabama. It seems like that offensive line's coming along as good as they need it to come along. Remember when they came out of spring, I don't know how many of you watched the Alabama spring game, but it was a travesty on the left side. They had to take Will Anderson out of the game. Uh, that's the guy who got robbed of a trip to New York City last year, 31 in Crimson, in case you haven't heard of him. They had to take him out of the spring game because he just wrecked everyone. And it was kind of sad to watch. It was, it was a Sarah McLaughlin special, as we call it here. And so what we did leave spring knowing is Alabama didn't have their answer at left tackle. They went to Vanderbilt. They got Tyler Steen. They viewed him as a plug-and-play left tackle. That's never a definite, but they viewed him that way. So far, fingers crossed for Alabama through one scrimmage, it looks like He's going to be fine there. J.C. Latham, former five-star guy, therefore on the right side, looks like he's going to be fine. I, I speak hesitantly because I know how much can change from scrimmage one to game one, but it sounds like Nick Saban even yesterday intimated that they're pleased with where they are so far along the offensive line, which shifts my attention to other areas of this team. Also, by the way, I, I, I did want to mention one more thing. For those around the Alabama program, you remember when Doug Marone got brought in there? We talked about him a couple of times. He was a former NFL head coach. Saban brought him in there to be an offensive line coach, and it sounded like, man, what a, what a wealth of, of riches we have here at Alabama. It didn't work out at all. And every time I've spoken to anyone around there about offensive line, they have not talked about players. They haven't talked about Steen or J.C. Latham. They thought they had good enough players last year. They don't think they had the right coach there last year. Now, that's not making excuses for him. Nick Saban's ultimately the guy who has to sign off on that stuff. I, I don't think he hired the right guy last year. I think they all realize that now. It's easy to say after you sort of, you know, get in the trenches with him and you got live bullets flying. Well, now we enter a new season. They brought Eric Wolford in. 
they can't say enough nice things about that guy. So that's point one. Point two, is there a true number one receiver on this team? There are several who have the capability of being that. I think that's really the effort there right now. Uh, Jermaine Burton transferred in from Georgia. He could be that. Ja'Cory Brooks caught that big touchdown in the Iron Bowl last year. He could be that. I thought out of high school, JoJo Earl could be that. And he's only a sophomore, but JoJo Earl's been hurt now, so he's been sidelined. And so it leaves room for some of their true freshmen or sophomore receivers to come in. Kobe Prentice is a true freshman named that they mentioned. Nick Saban mentioned him yesterday. Uh, he's a four-star guy, top 100 guy. One of those classic examples of someone who would be one of the crown jewels of many classes, but he gets lost in the mix if he signs with a program like Alabama until it's time to play. And if you can play, then you're going to stand out. And it sounds like Kobe Prentice had a really good day yesterday. I'll tell you one piece of interesting feedback I've gotten from a couple of guys, one on the NFL scouting level over the past week. As folks are making their rounds uh, throughout the SEC, I have not had anyone say their secondary is not good. At corner, they're not good. I have not had anyone say that. I want to always preface for what I'm about to say. There are some who have seen them at corner. They've been hurt there a little bit. That's part of what I'm about to say. But the other part is there are some folks who have looked at preview magazines and then they've looked at Bama at corner, not safety, corner, and said, I don't think they're as good there as folks believe they are. Kool-Aid McKinstry is a good player, uh, but Kyrie Jackson is still dealing with, I think, a groin issue. Uh, but outside of that, Eli Ricks uh, is viewed as a guy that probably, from a scouting standpoint, does not fulfill the preview magazine hype. That's the way he's viewed internally in scouting circles. I haven't stood on the sideline in Tuscaloosa and watched him myself. Nick Saban mentioned him yesterday, though. And now that I think about it, what Saban said is the same thing a lot of scouts say. That guy's going to have trouble grasping your defense. So I think they're still very good. First world problems, obviously, at Alabama, too. I will be very interested to watch them at corner when the season unfolds. Could be a Georgia situation from last year. Didn't really matter who they had at corner, did it? Because they had the pass rush they had. Alabama probably had the best pass rush in the country this year. So can you get by with having above average corner play, even if what we're saying right now is right? Yeah, probably could. Next up, Ole Miss. Interesting developments in Oxford. Not only did the official Ole Miss football account tweet out Pate State material today, salute you guys for that, but also there seems to be a move being made at quarterback. When we came out of spring, it did not sound good for Jackson Dart. Then again, that's why God created summer, and that's why God created fall camp. I, uh, on like the eighth or ninth day, I believe he did that. And the reason is because Jackson Dart or someone of his ilk needed every one of those days. And it sounds like it's paying off for Jackson Dart. Sounds like what we heard coming out of spring has sort of rewritten itself. What we heard coming out of spring was has not gotten the playbook, has not gotten the offense, turnover prone, looks like Luke Altmaier is going to be this guy. Unless something radical changes, looks like he's going to be the guy to lead us at quarterback. It sounds like something radical has changed. I don't know how radical it is in reality, but it does sound like it's changed because yesterday at their scrimmage, uh, he had a really good day and talking to three people with direct knowledge, a.k.a. people who saw the scrimmage, they said, Jackson Dart's going to start for this team. I mean, now, now it's unless something unforeseen happens, it's going to be Jackson Dart. So I guess that's what you have in mind when you go into the portal to get guys like that. But also, what does this mean for the rest of the team? You know, because if you panned out at quarterback, if that hit for you in the transfer portal, well, we know that Ole Miss was in the transfer portal about as much as any team in the country this past cycle. 
Who else could hit there? Now, they had a ton of guys out yesterday. Zach Evans, I don't think, did much of anything either. Uh, but Zach Evans, I'm not going to you know, reiterate what I said about him last week. We've gotten exceptionally strong feedback about him from NFL scouts that we've spoken to. But if I just combine those things, and I'm a guy who's on record as taking the under 7.5 on Ole Miss, if Jackson Dart is remotely what he was made out to be, if you just get plus-level quarterback play from him, doesn't even need to be A-level, just plus-level, and guys like Zach Evans are what I'm pretty sure he is, I'm going to lose money on Ole Miss is really what that comes down to. So am I rooting against them? No, I've lost money before. It'll probably happen again. We can make up for it. But I think I would feel good right now if I were an Ole Miss fan through one scrimmage for what that's worth. Over in Lee County, Alabama, that's where, the university, or this is where Auburn University is, not the University of Auburn, Brian Harson yesterday said something kind of fascinating. And for those of you, the 99% of you who did not catch Brian Harson's post-first scrimmage press conference, he said, I saw a little separation at quarterback today. So you may think to yourself, good for Zach Calzada. That Texas A&M transfer, recover from injury, starting to pull away. <clears throat> He's talking about T.J. Finley, or at least we have it on very good authority. He's talking about T.J. Finley. And he wouldn't pick up his phone today, so Brian Harson will not confirm that directly, but I'm telling you, he's talking about T.J. Finley. T.J. Finley played at Auburn last year. He transferred the year before from LSU, and it, it, this is why, again, this is why they do these things. This is why we don't just pick up the magazine and then say play ball. We, we do have to go through camp. Those guys can get better. Uh, guys can not take advantage and can take advantage of opportunity. Also, Calzada's coming off injury. So there's this other reality out there that sometimes in the real world, it takes a little while to get yourself up to speed, even at your old place, much less at a new place. So here's where I think things sit at Auburn right now. I think TJ Finley would start for them if they had to play a football game today. I also happen to know they don't have to. Uh, they also have a scrimmage or two left. And I think that what's about to happen is you are about to have this quarterback battle shaved from three to two. I think Robbie Ashford, the Oregon transfer, is probably going to be on the outside looking in there. Probably. And then I think it'll come down to TJ Finley taking reps with the ones this week, if I had to guess. And it'll be Zach Calzada rapidly trying to get up to speed. And that next scrimmage they have, you know, really starting now and then leading into that next scrimmage, that's when Zach Calzada is really on the clock. Now, the other bit of good news, guys, if we have Auburn's schedule, I didn't ask you for this, but yeah, so we have it. If you'll look at Auburn's schedule, they play Mercer week one. They play San Jose State week two. So you don't ever want to disrespect opponents. You never want to overlook opponents. But this is a program, this is a team, as we talked about, where if you don't have the quarterback battle definitively you know, written in stone by week one, it's not the worst thing in the world. That is a luxury that a couple of inferior opponents to start the season gives you. So that's where things stand in the SEC. Uh, we are not remotely done with that. I just have to talk to you about something right quick. It's Academy Sports and Outdoors. We're really excited. As recently as 15 minutes ago, we were working on some things graphically because some things around here are about to change between us and Academy Sports and Outdoors. We're not breaking up. We're actually taking our relationship to the next level, I guess is the way that I would describe that. It's somewhere between engaged and married, whatever that is. You can call that whatever that is. Anyway, that's a little bit in the future. As for now, well, nothing's changed. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they are still our exclusive partner here. They make everything that you see possible. We could not even have these lights on. 
we could not have this desk and these pretty graphics behind us. I doubt we could even afford the video if it wasn't for Academy Sports and Outdoors. But it'd be one thing if this was a chemical plant that had decided to sponsor the show, because you would be listening in Ackworth, Georgia, and you would say, well, good for them for getting a partner in the chemical business, but I don't have any use for them. But you do have use for sporting goods. You do have use for grills and tents and chairs and coolers and bats and balls. And Academy Sports and Outdoors has all that and then some. And if you can't get there, you have the internet. And therefore, you have access to academy.com. So basically, I just told you that in one fell swoop, you can get everything you need for sports, outdoors, and life. And you can give a great big thank you to the partner who has made all of this possible and free to you. So I think it's a classic win-win. You don't get those very often in life. Okay, let's dive right back in. We got so much. I could not even get to all our scrimmage intel. That's how much we have. Before we continue, there's Jesse in the teleprompter. Like and subscribe, period. That's what the prompter says. Uh, we've got, oh, we got almost 500. I think we're going over 1,000 likes on the live show tonight. So before we even conclude, let's just go ahead and like the video. Like, 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 like. And uh, subscribe if you're not there already. That really helps us this time of year. And when I pop the paper, you know I'm serious. If you're listening on podcast tomorrow or Tuesday, uh, if you're watching live now, if you're watching the replay, subscribing, especially this time of year, going to help us out a lot. So I know you'll do it. I don't have to beg. Uh, let's get back to more scrimmage, whispers, and intel, and scoop, and nuggets. It's that time of year. The Clemson Tigers scrimmaged yesterday. I've got good news, and I've got bad news. What should we start with? Let's start with the good news. Let's go in reverse order. The good news, I had a couple of you who were there, so I've spoken to a couple of people who were at the scrimmage. Uh, there was not a ton of information out of it, so we are fortunate to have had eyes inside Tiger Stadium there. There was a bunch of emphasis, as there has been all summer and spring, on getting DJ Uyangalale more mobile, using his legs more. Last year, he was too big, lethargic, I was a statue in the pocket at times, did not have the accuracy they needed, and as a result, Clemson's offense struggled. So they didn't toss him on the scrap heap. What they looked at is they looked at him as a player, and they said, here are the things we think you can do. Here's what we need you to do to be able to do those things. And it was losing some weight, and he's done that. He's done everything they've asked him to do. And so yesterday in their scrimmage, it was the first time as far as any of us have been able to see where you saw how they plan on using him this year. Ton more rollout type stuff. Uh, they, they look to feature him, not just as a quarterback, but using his entire skill set as a quarterback. I, I'm not going to go as far as to say they want to make him a mobile threat. It's not that. There's so much more to using your legs at the quarterback position than what we're watching right now on B-roll, which is running. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's always nice, especially on scramble plays, broken plays two or three designed runs per game. That's great. That's not what they, they don't want him turned loose down the field a la Lamar Jackson 15 or 20 times a game. What they do want him to be able to do is move the pocket, throw on the run, do a lot of the same things they used to be able to do with Trevor Lawrence and fulfill on the hype he had out of high school, which they don't think was overrated. They think he is that player. They just think they've got to do a better job of getting him in position. So you saw them start to do some of that yesterday. He was really good in the red zone yesterday. I didn't know what I was going to hear. I thought I may hear that Cade Klubnick just flat out outplayed him. Now, Klubnick didn't have a bad day yesterday at all. I think he had a touchdown early on. But it was DJ who, who looked like the starting quarterback for Clemson. So that's the good news. The bad news is it sounds like we lost Xavier Thomas for some period of time yesterday. 
Xavier Thomas is one of, it seems like, about 37 future first or second round draft picks that Clemson has along the defensive front. Third team all ACC last year. So he was injured yesterday. That's what we know. I've heard rumors, but I have nowhere close to any definitive word on what his injury is. I know he tweeted something out yesterday. So, you know, it, it would surprise me if he were back at practice Monday. But outside of that, I don't really know how long it is. Uh, we got some more injury intel coming up that is a little more conclusive. But that's the news out of Clemson. Sky's not falling. At Texas, though, it was not a good day yesterday. I know that you can dress it up, and there were some positives to take away. This was not a good scrimmage for Texas yesterday. Let me start with the really, really bad news out of Austin. A couple of huge injuries, uh, one along the offensive line. Uh, junior, I always struggle with his last name. Junior Angulo, there you go, uh, interior offensive lineman, reportedly out for the year with a knee injury. Isaiah Nayer, a very high-profile wide receiver transfer, out for the year, reportedly knee injury. Those both happened yesterday. Those are, I'm not going to say crippling blows. They are huge blows to this offense. Uh, those are, especially offensive line, those are positions they can't afford to be losing anyone at. Roshan Johnson got hurt yesterday running back. Sounds like he'll be okay. So that's the really, really bad news. That wasn't the most interesting piece of news from the actual scrimmage itself. The most interesting piece of news is Hudson Card ran with the ones at quarterback, and it was Hudson Card who looked like the better player yesterday. Now, for those of you who have kind of been checked out, I know a lot of you are coming back to the watering hole this time of year. The last thing you heard was Quinn Ewers has transferred to Texas several months ago, right? And you figured, like many of us, by this time, that quarterback battle would have already been decided and Quinn Ewers would have it locked down and it would just be a formality. I am being dead honest with you when I say, me too. I thought that's where we'd be right now. We're not there. That doesn't mean we won't eventually get there, but we're not there right now. So it's one of those if they played a game today things. If they played a game today, Quinn Ewers would be holding a clipboard. He'd have a headset on, on the sideline. And that surprises me. It doesn't shock me. It surprises me. So even having said that about the quarterback position, that is not the end of the story for Texas. Whoever or whomstever is at quarterback, they are going to be playing in all likelihood behind an offensive line that ends up featuring multiple true freshmen. Good true freshman. Kelvin Banks is a great, it could end up being a great player. I'm not going to call a true freshman a great player, but could end up being a great player. Um, it's just that you know, typically, you have to take some lumps when you're starting young guys on the offensive line, especially multiple. So that is part of the picture for any quarterback they start there. The next thing to keep in mind is the expectation level out there, which is something we have to talk about with Texas. It, it, it was assumed coming out of last year that all of this was going to fall into place more. The over-under win total, there's nine. And uh, they're one of the two or three favorites to win the conference this year in terms of odds right now. And there needed to be a culture change, and there was. And we went and got a really highly rated recruiting class, and we needed to, and we did. And we got some guys out of the portal. So much of that was hinged and does still hinge on the upside that is perceived to be Quinn Ewers and what he brings you at quarterback. So I don't know how much it sort of grabs the expectations by the shoulders and proverbially 
shakes them back to you know a more grounded reality if he's not the guy. But I'll tell you what I got a lot yesterday. I looked at the eye, Josh, maybe even up to and including right now, and I had a lot of my Texas buddies saying, if Sark starts Hudson Card, we're in trouble. If Sark starts Hudson Card, this and that. If he starts Hudson Card, it means one thing and one thing only. Hudson Card's the best quarterback on the team. Gives him the best chance to win the game. That's all it means. It's not Xbox. It's not how that works. You don't take someone's recruiting profile and have that start. The actual person has to start. So I know this sounds like we're going overboard after one scrimmage. It's a college football show. That's kind of what we do. But I don't think we're going overboard because I'm speaking hypothetically. But if Quinn Ewers does not grab this thing, whose fault is that? It's not Hudson Card's fault. It's not Sark's fault. That's Quinn Ewers. Um, so, you know, I, th I think for many reasons, those chief among them, this next scrimmage coming up, I think they have it next Saturday. Whenever their next scrimmage is, it's going to be probably more scrutinized and more watched than most of the week zero games will be watched. Like, I truly believe, outside of maybe Nebraska and Northwestern, take these other week zero games. There'll be more attention on the Texas scrimmage the week before those. And I, I don't think that's crazy to say. I don't even think that's speculation. That's just reality. Next up, let's go to Tallahassee. They did not feel the need to scrimmage Jordan, Jordan um, Travis down here at quarterback. Now, that does not mean, or it should not be concluded from that statement, that, well, pencil him in for a trip to New York City for the Heisman. Not that. Uh, there were, there were well-documented struggles in the FSU passing game last year. They have not been rectified overnight. However, I think they know what they have with Jordan Travis. And Mike Norvell and his staff also know another thing about Jordan Travis, and that is we need to mix and match a lot along this offensive line, and they did that. I think they scrimmaged today or yesterday. They scrimmaged this weekend. They did that. Uh, they don't need him playing behind that because that is a recipe for a potential disaster. They are comfortable with where he is. They need to figure out the rest of the team. I think they've been dealing with some injury concerns along the interior of their offensive line. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't exactly bode well. They've got Duquesne in week zero, so this is a team that has one of those games this next weekend. Uh, not the one this coming weekend, but the next weekend. And then they play LSU in the Superdome in week one. Wide receiver is an interesting position for Florida State. Wide receiver is a position I would encourage you to pay close attention to. If you're looking for any excuse to bet Florida State against LSU, and you're looking for matchups. One potential matchup to keep in mind is they have incredible size at receiver. I mean, they got, it seems like they got an army full of guys, 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". LSU, meanwhile, had to retool a lot of their secondary. One of the key takeaways from this Florida State scrimmage over the weekend was, wow, you know, there's a lot to be desired along the offensive line, but our receivers are winning a lot of contested 50-50 balls. They're turning 50-50s into 70-30s. That's what Clemson used to do. Clemson, when they're at their best, that's what they do. If Florida State can do that, if that's a hallmark or a trademark of their team and it's not just one random throwaway scrimmage, who knows? Games turn on that kind of stuff. You know, if, you, if you've got a couple of third and longs and you're able to just toss balls up and you've got receivers that can win those, those are chain movers. You know, those are, those are drive extenders. Those end up with a three or a seven on your side instead of poor field position and the ball in the other team's hands, so let's just keep that in mind as you're trying to look for a potential matchup edge. LSU is going to be a short favorite in that game, so let's keep that in mind. Also, I wanted to talk about Notre Dame. They announced this weekend that Tyler Buckner will start at quarterback for them. 
Now, it's not a big shot, but there was bad news out of South Bend, too. Uh, this, this really just sucked. So Avery Davis, who came all the way back from an ACL injury on one knee, tore his other ACL and his other knee, so he's out for the year. Um, I mean, it was a gut punch. You could tell by the way they speak about him and spoke about him. It wasn't just an integral part of their wide receiver depth. He's a locker room guy. He's kind of a coach on the field. And, I mean, to an extent, he can still serve in that capacity, but it's, it's different when you don't have him on the field. There is one silver lining here, and it's a guy by the name of Joe Wilkins. Joe Wilkins had Liz Frank surgery on his foot on April 1st, I think. Normally, when you hear Liz Frank, unless it's an aunt of yours, she needs to change her name if that is her name, it normally means, even if I'm talking about it in spring, you're very questionable to come back this season at all. Well, Joe Wilkins has been sipping on something different than the rest of us because he is on pace to return, wait for it, for the Ohio State game, which is week one. So they cut his foot open in April, and he's probably good to go by the time they head to the horseshoe in a couple of weeks. So that doesn't totally make up for the loss of Davis, but man, that's, that's unexpected. I, didn't, I thought someone had it wrong when I saw that headline. So I had to double and triple check that one myself. So you see Notre Dame's schedule there. They go to Ohio State, and then, you know, it's, it's an interesting time at Notre Dame. They're recruiting very well, and they're almost these parallel universes to me as an outsider looking at them. You got the, the recruiting universe where, man, are they about to land a top five class? Probably so. And then you've got the actual season, and they're over under, I think, it's at nine. So, you know, what if they win eight games? How am I supposed to interpret that? If they win 10 games, hallelujah. If they win nine, great year. But it's just I kind of will observe them in a couple of different ways. That's how I'll choose to watch Notre Dame this fall. Um, you know, I popped the paper there again. I don't mean to pop the paper so often. Colin loves what it does to the audio. But we've got to get serious here. I've got something very serious to talk to you about. And um, I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Hey, we're almost at 1,000 likes. So let's just go ahead and, and push it over the cliff. And feel free not to stop at 1,000, by the way. We just want to get to at least 1,000. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. There is some major momentum building for the recruiting efforts in 2023 of several programs, uh, but there is none that I need to speak to you about tonight more hastily than Billy Napier, Blue Chip Billy, as he's known on the streets, and the University of Florida. <sighs> Look at me smile. Why am I smiling? Well, you know what? 
I think it's been a great week for us. And by us, I mean Florida and Lake Kick. Can you really get one without the other? I want to take you back to June 25th. It's not that long ago, right? June 25th, things weren't going so great for Florida recruiting. They had missed out on prospects. They were, they were going nowhere fast, it felt like. And so some of the intel that I was getting, I don't really care whether it was true or not at this point. I'm going to take credit anyway. Some of the intel that we were getting led me to believe that they needed to kick it into a different gear on the NIL front. I thought that there were some mechanisms that needed to be in place for Billy Napier behind the scenes that just weren't exactly in place. There was some stuff written in pencil that needed to be written in Sharpie. And so I decided to take a stand because that's just the kind of guy I am and that's just the kind of show we are. You see how bright and colorful the show is, but as you know, when we go back in time, if you're watching on YouTube, things get really gray and really hazy, but I need you to listen to this 40 or so seconds from June 25th, roll it, Colin. And if you're not putting your coaching staff in the best position to go out and acquire talent, then you can either do one of two things. You can either recalibrate your expectation level and lower it and say, good solid seven win season, that's what we want, Billy. Or you can give him the resources he needs to go out and compete. And right now, he's never gonna come out publicly and say it. I don't think he's operating on a level playing field with some of the other staffs you're asking him to compete against. I don't think he's operating on a level playing field as Georgia. I don't think he's operating on a level playing field as Miami, and that's got to change. I think Florida's going to have to take one on the chin in the 2023 recruiting cycle. What do they do moving forward? And what position is the staff put in moving forward? I wanted to get a mannequin hand from Party City downtown so I could pat myself on the back uh, because of me, really, let's be honest, and solely me, maybe a little bit of Katie Turner and the folks behind the scenes down there at Florida too, uh, they have turned things around. I've got a post-it in my hand, and it says, since that day, they have landed 15 four-star commitments. They've got the number 10 class in the country. Uh, Kelby Collins, top 100 defensive lineman who Alabama badly wanted from the state of Alabama, no less, recently committed to Florida over, the, over this weekend, actually. Will Norman, another top 150 defensive lineman. Uh, they got Cameron Jones, four-star defensive lineman. They are on fire. I never, ever thought in my wildest dreams. I would see them at any point this cycle in the top 10. And now, not only are they at number 10, they're looking to climb inside the top 10. And you wanna know another fascinating stat here? Just, just fascinating stat. As we have spoken about, you and I, many times on this show, I don't believe so much that you need to reshape the college football playoff to get more competitive balance. I am a believer that if someone would take hold of recruiting the state of Florida in state, and ditto for Texas and ditto for California, it would divide the talent up a whole lot more. And it would therefore uh, divide maybe that competitive balance a little bit more in the sport because Alabama's gotten fat on kids from Florida. Ohio State's gotten fat on kids from Texas and Florida. That's where they've gotten fat. And that leads me to this stat. <clears throat> 16 of 20 kids they have committed right now are from the state of Florida, in stat. Good for Billy Napier, good for his staff. If we even played a modicum, just an ounce of a part in that, then good for us too. Next up, LSU. As highly as Florida's rated, Brian Kelly looks at him and says, uh, cool, look at us up here. LSU's rated number six right now. LSU's kind of on a roll too. They, they landed several kids this past week. We just spoke about them like three days ago, uh, but they landed Kylan Jackson, who's a four-star defensive back since the last time we spoke. And look at the SEC recruiting rankings right now. 
LSU up there at third, they had, um, I think since July 4th, they've had six Louisiana kids commit. So I come to you tonight humbly but arrogantly, and I ask you, is Brian Kelly fitting yet? Because I don't have a good feel on this, because I, I never ran my mouth about whether he was going to fit down there. Is he fitting? Does he need to be top five before we know that he fits? Do we, do we need to see him on signing day land the top five class before we know that his style works in Louisiana? <sighs> I will probably sometime in January run a montage of all of the foolishness that we spoke about at the time, we called it out at the time, about folks you know, making fun of dance videos, making fun of an accent, saying this is not gonna work down here. Those people, predictably, have disappeared. I don't know what swamp they got tossed into down there, but they have disappeared. As foolish people tend to do in and around the state of Louisiana. I know, you know, let's move on. Penn State, they made a move here. The fighting producer Jesse's, as expected, have landed Jackson Smolik. This is a kid that we got to see up close at the Elite 11. It's an interesting story. I don't think a lot of you know about him. He just decommitted from Tulane. He has committed to Penn State. And he got a last-minute Elite 11 invite. We were out there, and they were bringing us all the kids. And they brought Jackson Smolik. And I, so I didn't tell him at the time, but I'll tell you now. I had to whisper in one of our guys' ear, hey, hey, get, get me a profile on him, please. Because I didn't have a profile on him. Because I think they had a spot to fill, so they called him. He's from Iowa, and he, they got him out there last minute, and he came out there. Man, he was so loose. I don't think he had time to be nervous. And he was ready to compete, and he held his own. I think as a result, you're probably going to see his recruiting ranking climb a whole lot more than where he is even right now. But he committed to Penn State. I think he's got, like I said, an excellent shot to climb up in the rankings. Penn State is now sitting at number 11. So I think quietly that Penn State class now sits just outside the top 10. Oklahoma, we will probably never do a show again without talking about at least one verbal commit for Oklahoma. Jacoby Johnson is a really good player, and he's from a really good city, Mustang, Oklahoma. Where else would you rather be from? No one from California answer that, please. I don't want to deal with that tonight. But four-star athlete, 6'3", 185. Do you know how many things you can do in life if you're 6'3", 185 in high school? So he's got the world at his fingertips. He's going to play for Brent Venables in Oklahoma. I think he could play either way. I'm not sure what they plan on doing with him, but I think he could play either way. Uh, Oklahoma, number seven class in the country, about to cross that 92 average player threshold. So they're rolling. Ohio State just landed a four-star safety today. Jaden Bonzu, one of my more favored names in this recruiting cycle. He's from New Jersey. Ohio State's always, they've always recruited that entire I would call it a corridor pretty well. New Jersey's been kind to them. It's been kind to Michigan, too. Uh, the entire DMV area as well. I know folks in the Northeast love when you just group all that together. But I'm from Columbus, Georgia, man. Like, what else am I supposed to do? So we got a lot of movement. I know Clemson made a move today. Uh, it, was past, it was past deadline. It was past cutoff. So Florida, though. LSU, Penn State, Oklahoma. A lot of big movers. Be paying attention to recruiting. If you, if you wait until December... It's already passed you by. That's the new cycle. That is the way of the world now. They're watching us tonight in East Lansing, Michigan. They're tuned in in Chatsworth, Georgia, and Tupelo, Mississippi. You are all tuned in. I thank you so much for that. This is a monumental occurrence for us. It is a big moment for us. At long last, and ahead of the AP poll, the JP poll is back. The JP poll 
its debut for 2022, our preseason edition. This is the only one we'll put out until the season starts. What is this? These are power ratings. That's what these are. So this is what our model, our proprietary model, spits out for us. I have it every day for me. It, it ingests real-time injury updates. It's a lot of minutiae. You think you'd want to see it. In reality, it would just give you a headache. But every so often, I'll hit boom, crunch, and it will spit out our power ratings. Thus, the JP poll. The JP poll does not care about what your record is. It only cares about who it would favor against who or whomst it would favor against whomst on a neutral field tomorrow. That's all. We don't run a sports book. I'm not going to take any bets on this stuff, so don't get sarcastic and ask me unless you're Brad Powers, in which case I will take action from Brad. So with that in mind, I'm not going to start at 25. I'm going to start at the top, and I'm going to show you what we have. And also, I think producer Jesse's gotten a little fancy. And so what he's going to show you, or what I'm going to tell you if you're listening on podcast, is I'm going to show you what we have teams rated. And then we did sort of an aggregation of the entire industry. So we took about five or six public polls out there. I think we took the coaches poll, a couple of preview magazines. We got Phil Steele in there, uh, the CBS top 25. And we just combined them all to get a good idea of what the average industry preseason ranking for a team is. So we're not only going to look at the JP poll, we'll know how high or how low we are on teams relative to what the general public thinks. Not the casual public, but the general public. Uh, let's start at the top, because this is where the least amount of drama is. Alabama, we've got number one, as does the rest of the industry. Ditto for Ohio State at two. Ditto for Georgia at three. Where we start to differ a little bit, we're high on Michigan. Let me ruin the ending for you there. Really high on Michigan. Our model would favor this Michigan team over last year's Michigan team. Even with Ajabo and even with Hutchinson lost to the NFL, we think they're a very, very solid team. So we got them at four. The industry would have them around six. Clemson at five, that's about where the industry has them. Okay, now it's discrepancy time. I'm going to make sure I screenshot a lot of this. I know you will too, because one way or the other, one of us is going to end up eating this. Starting at number six, we got Texas A&M. Even though there's not wide discrepancy with Texas A&M, the industry average for them is seven, so we're only one higher. I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that. I guarantee you I will get more pushback on that than a lot of these teams where we have wider discrepancy. Oklahoma, we've got seven, just ahead of the industry average. Uh, Utah, we've got number eight. That's a little bit lower than the industry average. Not enough to make a big deal about. Your podcast didn't cut off. I'm just giving a little moment of silence here before I talk about number nine. Our number nine team in the country is the Arkansas Razorbacks. The industry, disrespectfully, has them at 20. Egregiously has them at 20. I would argue to you, if I did nothing more than put them in the ACC, where they had a lighter schedule, therefore had higher postseason expectations, they'd be ranked higher. Well, we don't care about that. I don't care if they play in the NFC West. Their team is their team. And their team's really good. I think also that wide receiver stable is day by day rounding into even better form than they thought they had in spring. Matt Landers looks really good for Arkansas right now. They got a couple other guys up there look really good. Jaden Hazelwood, really good as well. I think they're going to be good this year. We think they're top 10 good to start the year. So Arkansas at nine, I do not want, here's what I don't want. I don't want folks coming back to me if they go nine and three or even eight and four this year. Because if you'll notice, several of the teams that are ahead of them are also teams on their schedule. I'm not interested in someone saying, see, there's proof you were wrong because they lost three games. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. We're power rating teams, not based on schedule, 
but just based on roster. Next up, Penn State. Also, wide discrepancy here. We got Penn State at 10. The industry average is 23. I think that may be the widest discrepancy we had in terms of being higher rated than the industry. So Arkansas and Penn State, don't embarrass me this year. Please don't embarrass me. Next up, number 11. A little bit higher on Wisconsin, as it turns out. And therefore, a lot of, a lot of that smoke out of Madison right now about how much better their passing game looks, even though I'm skeptical of our own model, and I'm skeptical a lot of the, a lot of the reporting out of there right now, I hope, selfishly, that you're right. Because we got Wisconsin about, what, 6.8 spots higher, about seven spots higher than the industry. We're higher on Miami by several spots. We got them at 12. The industry has them around 16. Baylor, somehow, some way, I of all people am slightly lower on Baylor, or the model is, because when the model's wrong, it was the model's fault. It's only on me when it's right. I just want the credit. I don't want the blame. Baylor is at 13, a little bit lower than the industry has them. Notre Dame, we've got significantly different than the industry. The industry has Notre Dame at number six or thereabouts. We got them at 14, so we're a little bit lower. Still think they're a very good team. It's just, there's, you know, I could say this about Wisconsin too, though. So there's some elements that you probably are going to need at quarterback, or if you don't have at quarterback, you're going to need an extremely strong roster to crack that top 10 and to be at number six. You know, Texas A&M, for example, does not have quarterback solved, but they got a really strong roster, too strong for the model to ignore. Notre Dame, strong roster, not that level strong. And I don't know that Tyler Buckner at quarterback, plus the stable of wide receivers they have, especially with the injury, it lends itself to us putting them in the top 10. Tennessee, we are much higher on. And I got to tell you something. There was a little manual adjustment today, which I'm not supposed to tell you about, but there was a manual adjustment today. Tennessee's at 15. They were higher than that earlier today. I, I did a little what I thought was necessary course correction. And so Tennessee, we are nine spots higher on than the industry is. And that's even after I said, come here, Tennessee, let me pull you back a little bit. So the model is drunk on Tennessee. Next up, 16, NC State, that's slightly lower than the industry. Oklahoma State, 17, slightly lower than the industry, both of them by about four spots. Michigan State, we could not agree more with the industry. We've got them at 18, just like the industry does. USC, we're a little bit lower on at 19. Industry average would be about 15. Hey, check out number 20. How about that? Out of nowhere, like sting from the rafters, Mississippi State is ranked, excuse me, rated, and Mississippi State is rated in the JP poll top 20. Ahead of Ole Miss. Did anyone catch that? I was surprised by it, but the model said, believe it, sir, believe it. Now, for the record, I think Ole Miss is, they're 21st. So that's just, I mean, they're, they're like fractions of points different. Uh, for the record, the gap, I'm not showing you the numbers, but the gap between the number one and number three team, so Bama and Georgia, is you know four or five points, six points, something like that. The gap between Georgia and I want to say A&M, Oklahoma, somewhere around there, is uh, another good chunk. But the gap between like Utah and Mississippi State is less than a touchdown. So there are a couple of tiers that have set themselves up here in our power ratings in the preseason. And I'm telling you, once you get to seven, it does no good to argue about this. 
because I can't push back on it very strongly. Because if you say that Oklahoma shouldn't be seven, they should be 10, I'll say, okay, that's a difference in 0.6 points. So like six tenths of a point, okay, great. Like make the change manually if you want to. There are, there are just percentage points difference between that seven spot and that 19, 20 spot. So I did want to point these out though, because there are some notable omissions. For example, the University of Oregon, model does not have them in the preseason top 20. The industry has them as the overall number 11 team or thereabouts. Likewise, Wake Forest, we don't have them power rated at all. Uh, the injury to quarterback Sam Hartman also, also has a lot to do with that. Uh, but we would have been lower on Wake either way. Cincinnati, industry average, number 20. We've got Cincinnati at 26 in the preseason. Pitt, I'm going to talk about the Panthers more in a little while. Industry average for Pitt is 20. We've got them at 32. So the model differs strongly with the industry on Pitt. Texas, not a huge difference. Texas is averaging about a 22 in ranking preseason. In the industry, we've got them at 24. Uh, Kentucky, average 23. We've got them at 22. So we're pretty much arm in arm with the industry on Kentucky. And Ole Miss, uh, the industry has them at 23. We've got them at 21. So actually, we've got Ole Miss rated higher. It's just that we've got Mississippi State, and no one had Mississippi State rated in the preseason. So that's the big difference. Send all your hate mail instead of to the office, just to the comment section. You save paper, and I can delete it if I don't like it. That's really the beauty of the comment section. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, now I get to go over to the live comment section, and I get to look at the dumbest word that is ever uttered in power rating world, and that is disrespect. I don't care about pretty much any of these teams. I didn't go to any of these schools. I don't have family at any of these schools. I don't, well, I know a lot of the players at a lot of the schools. Um, I just glanced over and saw BYU disrespect. Could anyone, this is a challenge, it's open-ended. Could anyone, for any reason, find the slightest bit of evidence that some kid who grew up in West Central Georgia would have it out for a team that is in Provo, Utah. If anyone can present the evidence, I'm all ears. Do I have trouble pronouncing the name? Sure I do. But that does not equal bias, friends. I'm halfway having fun with you, but, but seriously, it's not disrespect. It's what the model says. This model has been very profitable for us in the past. I'm about to make you some more money off of it in about two minutes. So I'm here in December is what I'm saying. So we'll be wrong about some of these teams. I'll be here to eat it in December. The folks who claim disrespect and hate and then you end up exactly right, they don't show up in December. I've noticed that. Very few and far between are the folks who come to me in December and say, I called you an idiot and said you disrespected me in August. Ah, oh, you were right. I was wrong. You know, that's the way it is sometimes, though. But I'm not here to just bring bad news. I'm here to bring some good news. Here's your end, Colin. The Ramen Noodle Express is back tonight. I didn't want to wait again until week zero. I think you and I need to... Take another trip aboard the Ramen Noodle Express. These are our best bets. We're going to get four more of them out tonight. For those of you unfamiliar with the Ramen Noodle Express, well, it's just that. Uh, we do it weekly. So in the season, you'll be getting best bets weekly, courtesy of the Ramen Noodle Express. There's a reason why we call it this. I don't have time to get into it. The backstory has been told on the show before. I'll probably tell it again at some point. Follow it blindly and make money off of it. But follow it blindly or don't follow it at all. The last thing you want to do is cherry pick here. I've already given four best bets out. So if you didn't jump on these already, I can't promise you the numbers are still around. But we took West Virginia over five and a half wins, Iowa State over six and a half wins, 
Ole Miss under seven and a half wins, and Auburn over six wins. That's what we have so far. Now that you've seen the JP poll, and you see that we differ pretty significantly with the public and the overall industry average rankings in some cases, you get a pretty good idea of where I'm about to head. But I guarantee you don't know where I'm going to start. I am starting at the University of Arizona. That's where we're going. Jed Fish, shockingly, still has his team with a number of two and a half hanging out there. Now, I know the over is heavily juiced. I thought this thing would have hit three by now. You may ask yourself, Josh, what do you know about Arizona? Well, probably more than you, unless you're actually out in Arizona. But I kid you not, this number should, we think, we think we've got it at 3.9. I think that's what our model has Arizona at, which is a huge discrepancy. It's a, it's a number I should have moved on earlier, uh, but I had my attention shifted further east. So I thought the time had passed for us to get this Arizona number. We are taking over two and a half, to be clear. Arizona over two and a half. Stunned it's still there, happy to take it even with the decrease in value because of the increase in juice. Jaden Delora is the quarterback there now. I know most of you who bet on this stuff know that, but I need you to understand how big a disaster the Arizona quarterback room was last year. They played like four or five different guys. They, they stand a chance to be one of the most improved teams at multiple areas, multiple facets, as any team in America this year. We will not talk about them a lot because they probably still won't make a bowl game and they just won't be on the national radar. But I, I big time love the over with Arizona at two and a half. If you pop a three out there, I probably love over three even more because I think they're going to win four games and you'll probably get better um, money line value there. But definitely Arizona over two and a half. That's what Caesars has right now. So that's what we have to roll with. Next up, this number is out there still. Texas, we're taking the under at nine. I planned on doing this already. I, I know we lost some value because I saw this move a little bit even today. Uh, the juice heavily towards the under now at minus 145. With the injuries yesterday, yes, that probably, I don't want to, I want to say this delicately because you never get happy over injury. It bolsters my feel on where I'm going to go here, but really I was already going to go there. If, if they are to be a nine plus win team, it is my belief Quinn Ewers is their quarterback. If that's not panning out, and especially if you lose a guy like Isaiah Nair at that wide receiver position, and we've got injury concerns already along the offensive line, and I don't know if I'm going to improve that pass rush dramatically, there's just too much uncertainty for me to be latching on to nine. Uh, that, that's a little bit too lofty. And also, when I know that you've got Bama out of conference, and then you've got the Wild West perception of the Big 12, anybody can literally win in that conference any given week. Uh, it, literally anybody. I got to go under nine. Uh, so we're going under nine with Texas, and we are moving on to happier phrasing here, namely an over. Arkansas is at seven. Arkansas's over under win total is seven. This is very basic, very straightforward. If I'm telling you I got Arkansas power rated inside my top 10, and their over under win total is seven, and I know that that is due in, in some part to the overall industry perception of them being ranked around 20. This is just a trust your ratings situation. They play an extremely tough schedule. That's fine. Uh, the over under seven, it's not eight and a half or nine. So we're going to take the over on Arkansas. I want to, again, I didn't do a great big breakdown of Arkansas. Arkansas had a scrimmage yesterday too. And Arkansas, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with what they have at receiver, especially. You know, I think there are some guys 
who have come in there and as a group, I think it's shifted. Sam Pittman said this yesterday, actually. It has shifted from a position of, I wonder if that's going to pan out, to this is one of the strengths of this team. And I think that's been a little unexpected there. So I already know what I've got on the ground with them. It may be one of, if not the best ground games in the country again this year. But I think that they are going to be right where they were last year, if not a better team. I think they're a better team than they were last year. It's a tough schedule. It's a tough schedule. That's why the total is so low. We're going to trust our ratings here. Arkansas over seven. Uh, The last one I want to hand out tonight. We're going to the ACC. I'm going under eight and a half with Pitt. I think this number is about a half a game too high. This is slightly juiced towards the under, uh, but we're going to trust our ratings again here. I think the industry, what was it, Jesse? The industry had Pitt. Oh, I got it right here. Industry has Pitt around 20. We've got them in the 30s. So we're, we're off pretty big time. We just trust our ratings. So the under eight and a half also has to take into consideration there are a couple of tough out-of-conference games here. They play West Virginia to start the year. They play Tennessee. And so it's not the easiest slate there. There are not four gimme games. And also, I look at their schedule, and I look at you know going to Louisville. We think Louisville's an underrated team, by the way. I almost moved on them. May end up betting them week one. At North Carolina, at Virginia. I know a lot of these games you look at individually and you say, Pitt should win that, Pitt should win that. I, this is not a team where you just watch a first-round caliber quarterback leave and you say, oh, that's all, that's all right, though. That team is bigger than any one person. Well, yeah, they are. I'm just telling you that impact is disproportionate on rosters where they never recruit top 20 classes. So I'm going to trust our ratings. There, there's, no, there's no more breakdown that needs to be given than that. This is all numbers anyway. I'm really filibustering a little bit more than I should. Our number says take the under, so we're going to take the under because I trust our model. Uh, last up, I, que- I questioned, what, what you got, Colin? Okay. Oh, yeah. You know what Colin said? No, you're not moving on yet. Okay, so here's our recap, especially for those of you listening on pod. As I told you, Arizona over two, Arkansas over seven, Auburn over six, Iowa State over six and a half. Those are the overs, along with West Virginia, over five and a half. And then now we've got three unders, Ole Miss under seven and a half, Pitt under eight and a half, and Texas under nine. Colin, we're done now? And we're done. Okay, we can move on now. So I did not know if I was going to touch on this. I was going to wait to see if one of you asked about it. And one of you asked about it, so we're going to touch on it. Do you know what it is? Quickly? No? No? All right. So uh, a lot of excitement around Kentucky right now uh, because, well, they're, they're the second favorite in the East. But I want to get to Kirsten's question. Kirsten asked if I have any thoughts on John Calipari and Mark Stoops going at each other. I got thoughts on it, yeah. I was going to wait to see if anyone brought it up because I normally don't traffic in this sort of thing, and I'm going to be responsible with what I say right now. But what's happened here? For those of you unfamiliar, um, John Calipari made some statements. He's trying to get funding for facilities up there, and he talked about, he went public with an interview and said, this is a basketball school. You know, Bama, Georgia, those football schools, this is a basketball school. Well, Mark Stoops, I, he, yeah, yeah, he took umbrage with that, as Meemaw would say. And here's what Mark Stoops said. He went on Twitter first, and he said, Basketball school? I thought we competed in the SEC. Hashtag four straight postseason wins. Well, he was not done. He was not done. This was at his press conference. This was the 13th, so yesterday. He said, quote, Some may, but this program did not wake up on third base. 
That's in defense of my players, in defense of the work that we've done. Mark Stoops uh, did not have any time to be told that he coaches football at a basketball school. I think you saw everything you need to see about Mark Stoops in those couple of quotes and graphics there. I could not care less about the soap opera drama aspect of this. They'll, they'll hug and make up and they'll be fine in a couple of days. What I care about is why it was even a big deal. This would never have been a big deal before. John Calipari, what he said has been reality at Kentucky for decades and decades and decades. He could have said that in any other era and no one would have batted an eye. The fact that it can have exception taken to it now tells you everything you need to know about Mark Stoops. He's not confrontational. Uh, Mark Stoops is a guy who is fiercely loyal, as he appears to be. He is a guy who's very territorial. He doesn't get out of his lane, but if you kind of come over into his yard, he's going to tell you, get out of here. Or at the very least, you better have a good reason for being here. Uh, he is also, he's dead on the money uh, because of what he's saying there is, hold on a second now, hold on. Uh, it has been, and, and it still is a basketball school. Kentucky's more known for basketball, always will be. So Cal's not wrong. Neither of them are wrong. Uh, Cal's saying what he needs to do to get uh, facilities that he wants. But Mark Stoops has made this relevant. He's actually made it a conversation because Kentucky football is actually known now. Kentucky football is expected to do more in Vegas odds terminology this year than the University of Florida is and the University of Tennessee is and the University of South Carolina. And so that is where Kentucky football is now. And that's everything you need to know about Mark Stoops. He's done one of the quietest great jobs in all of college football. He's got one of the quietest great jobs in all of college football. I have had more than one person on the representation side of the fence who, you know, represent a lot of these big coaches, they'll tell you right up front, Stoops has got the best job because he gets SEC money. He's got a completely realistic fan base up there. He's got a great quality of life. He's able to fulfill some of his off-field passions too. You know, people aren't breathing down his neck eight days a week and asking why you didn't go for it on fourth and two against Louisville a couple of weeks ago. And yet still he's delivering. Very process-oriented. Everything about Kentucky is, you know, what's right about college football, too. It's a great program to watch. But I, I've watched it from afar. I haven't commented on it publicly. I don't think anyone's wrong. Cal's saying probably what needs to be said up there. He's saying what he feels. And Mark Stoops is saying exactly what the head football coach, who's been more successful than anyone before him, should be saying about his program, especially when big things are expected of them this year. Oh, here's another hunch. I think that probably went over pretty darn well in the Kentucky locker room. Thank you so much for watching the show. If you have not already, please like the video, please subscribe to the video, and like the podcast or subscribe to the podcast, I guess is what I would want you to do. You are our marketing department. We don't pay a dime to market the show. You take care of it for us. And one more thing, there are items as of tomorrow morning that are going to disappear from the Late Kid store. So, if there's something in there that you thought about buying but you hadn't bought yet, uh, it may very well be gone tomorrow. So, PateStateMaterial.com is open for business. New designs and new items coming this week. Very excited about that. Very excited in general. We will not be back Thursday. We'll be back Tuesday at 8 Eastern, 7 Central on YouTube. Until then, thank you so much for Director Colin and Producer Jesse. I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. series.
Police on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.